Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Actors with Issues, the weekly podcast where we interview the rising stars of TV, film, and Broadway and give you an inside look at the entertainment industry from the ground level. I'm your host, Juan Ayala. And before we get started, uh, I just wanted to say a big, big thank you to all of you who are listening because we just hit a milestone with our little show here. Uh, you're currently listening to episode 50 and on the air for a full year. Uh, this was a little passion project that we started at the height of the pandemic and coming up on a year and having shared so many wonderful conversations with so many artists has been so much fun. It's so rewarding. So thank you everyone listening. Um, and I'm excited to see what the next 50 episodes are going to be like. <laughs> so today's guest is Broadway performer, triple threat, Christopher Henry Young, who you may have seen in the smash hit uh, ha uh, Hamilton, in case you've heard of it. Uh, <laughs> and um, a musical based on one of my favorite movies, uh, Bronx Tale. Uh, so Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having of me. Of course. Happy to have you on. With the, I always send out you know, a whole list of questions to my guests. And something that particularly interested me was the fact that you didn't go to school for anything art related. Your college experience was not majoring in theater or drama or voice or whatever. So many of us normally uh, major in. So what did you go to school for? So I originally went for writing uh, and communications. Okay. Uh, and most of that was kind of based in the fact that I started theater in general like just when i got to high school and it felt late at the time um when college was coming around i did audition for a few schools i got accepted to a few schools but i was so stressed about the idea of being up against people who potentially were like more trained than mm -hmm. me and that was kind of the narrative that people supported me in believing at the time again this is like 2000 what six seven um we were still very kind of immersed in the heavy myths of yep. the professional theater industry uh and so i was not alone in believing that I would have failed had I gone to one of those uh, institutions. So um, I wound up going for something else, something I enjoyed at the time, but certainly would not have wanted to make a career out of looking back on it now. Right. <laughs> Communications. It's it's actually something that's rather common among actors, or at least people who I know who are very involved in theater and similarly didn't think that it would be a viable career for them. So they go into something like communications because it's can still somewhat be related like, or like public speaking or something like that, you know, that um, still needs some sense of pers of, of personality and, and, and maybe character or things like that. Um, you know, people with communication sometimes go into like radio and other, other avenues of, of media, just not like live performance. You just shared that with your experience in high school, um, that's sort of when you got started. And similarly with me, I didn't like my first show in eighth grade but then it wasn't until like high school that it really, really immersed myself into theater. And um, sim similarly to you, I also was very sort of skittish with getting going to a big musical theater school because I had no formal training, no dance training, none of that. And um, eventually went to community college for just acting for, for theater arts. Um, and, you know, it's so interesting to hear the many different paths that people have because after 50 episodes of the show it's so everyone's path is just completely different some people start super young and have been dancing since they were three and others sort of fell into it and others left college because an opportunity came along and so when did you sort of first fall in love with performing and with with acting and things like that 
Yeah, you know, it's an interesting story. And I and I teach, I'm a teaching artist quite often. And the thing I always start with just to kind of like invite other people to understand who I am in the room is tell this story. And the truth is, I didn't originally fall in love with performing or theater. It was a life raft originally. It was, a, um, I went through like some pretty, um, uh, I went through a lot of trauma uh, in a small chunk of time around the age of like 10 to 13 and a pretty bubbly kid all of a sudden kind of shut off. Mm -hmm. And my mom and dad supported me in getting into theater with the kind of idea that if you can't speak for yourself right now, maybe you can learn to speak through these characters and the work that you do artistically. And that did work. But at the time, I actually wasn't so much in love with it so much as like, I just acknowledged that I needed it. I truly didn't know how to speak what I was feeling, but I knew when I was on stage that I could pretend to be someone else for a little bit of time and accidentally get my feelings expressed. Um, though I, and I say it that way because I certainly wasn't cognizant. I was 13, like I wasn't actively choosing to express myself. I would do what the director asked, what the character demanded. And then at the end I would go, oh, that's how I feel. Um, it wasn't until part way into my first professional job at 19 that I actually found a love for the thing a like mutual understanding and connectivity to arts didn't happen until I was already halfway through my first professional contract and it came in a moment where my dance captain who at the time was a Radio City Rocket she was working on the show with me we did an interview as like a veteran performer and the newbie on the block um, and I kept saying in this interview, I can't wait until I'm a professional like you all. And she like stopped the interview and was like, Christopher, you signed a contract. You're being paid to do this. You are a professional artist. And my brain exploded. And that day was the day that I fell in love um, with theater, with art, with performing, with acting. You know, it's funny, a cousin of mine, he's from Texas. We see him like once a year because he comes up every every year. He had asked because he sees on Facebook like my posts and back then, but this was like back in college. Like, oh, like what, what else have you done recently? And I said like, oh, I'm doing like a children's theater show. It's like my first paid gig. And he was like, oh, you're a professional now. You're like professional. You're getting paid. Someone's paying to see you. And I was like, wow, I didn't think of it like that. I always thought like, oh, like I'm not an actor yet. I'm training to be an actor. And um, right. Because, you know, there is that sort of weird fine line and mind you i think of like you know if you if you act you're an actor if you paint you're a painter you know it's that simple but for for so many people when they hear an actor their first question is like oh like what have you been in like what that i have what have right. i seen you in it's like well do you watch everything because i've been on well, i've been on tv shows that right, nobody right. watched you know right <laughs> some of some people are on broadway and shows that close in three months or or, or faster and it's like well they still got paid for months of work and and you know that's still a job and and it's a it's a, it's a gig job sadly but we know that going and, in and you know and you know the specificity and the nuance of talking about the arts is like all but dead sometimes and the reason why i say that is because we have to acknowledge that the craft and the industry are two different things the art of theater and the industry of theater are two very different yeah. things and so to be a professional artist in my opinion is that you make a living using the training that you've occur occurred throughout your life that is that is a professional artist in my opinion that doesn't negate the um quality or the necessity or the importance of people who are artists who may not get paid for the thing uh and i think about people who i've seen in their church 
you know, uh, praise and worship mm. bands who sing better than I do sometimes. And, or uh, people who, you know, do community theater whose life went in a different direction, but the quality of work they present is still up there with the work I do as a professional artist. And so reshaping and being nuanced and specific in how we talk about that whole thing is important because of the myth of like, oh, are you a working actor right. or you're a waiter? That someone <laughs> said that to me, child, somebody said that to me on a date when I first moved to New York oh, City. Uh, they asked what I did. I said, I'm an actor. They were like, oh, are you an actor or are you like a waiter? And I was like, well, that's offensive on many levels. But that was one of those moments that reminded me like, we really do lack the like, impeccable wording of talking right. about the arts always <laughs> yeah gosh that would have been like well that's no that's no for me that's a no second date here uh check please yeah, yeah. um that ended yeah and because you know there's such a i mean there's a stigma against so many things of like you know you say you're an act like oh what restaurant do you work at it's like okay well let's calm down or you know but also like there it's just <laughs> it's one of people don't seem to understand why so many actors work in the restaurant industry and and in those it's because you know we need the mornings free to audition and whatever mind you i don't think it's entirely healthy either because then you're closing out the bar at 3 a.m you show up to your audition looking like crap not super healthy um there are other flexible lines of work that one can do i mean so many actors end up becoming like fitness instructors or personal trainers for the same reason because it's also flexible um and you can stay healthy while doing it because, you know, working in a restaurant isn't always the healthiest thing. Um, but there's also that stigma against community theater, which is we all got started in community theater in some sense or another, whether it was in your school or um, just doing local stuff. If, if you're in a, a place that is fortunate enough to have like local theater and with community theater, there is that sense of like, there are still amazing actors, like you said, people whose lives just, you know, things happen whether it's like they can't because not everyone can even afford to be an actor that's a whole other thing too is um you know if you're just looking at like the startup costs of like your acting business since you need headshots you want to put together a reel of some kind if if it's like theater or whatever and some people want websites and you have to print all your headshots too and and print your resumes on fancy paper and some people just can't afford to do that like some people you know, it's just there. You're right. There's so many different factors that go into it. Like you said, there's one thing of like the art and then the industry. And in general, with entertainment, it's the same thing. It's so many different things. Like what what's something that was maybe like a misconception or something that you thought that ended up being a huge misconception? I mean, the thing the thing that always sticks out to me when people ask this question, and for years I actually shied away from answering it this way, but I've learned to kind of explain it fully to make myself understood uh, at least, is that we all like each other. And I say that because it is actually quite dangerous to set up that you're coming into a world where just because you exist there, you're gonna be liked. It sets us up for a bad, uh, for a potentially negative outcome. And the reason why I say that is because while artists are um, in ideals intended to kind of be like empathetic and open people, that's not always the case. The world is a very difficult place to navigate. So some of us don't have the ability to be so welcoming and friendly and, and, and trusting and all these other things. And the reason why I say that is because we should take the time to allow people to reveal themselves to us and vice versa, as opposed to coming in saying, you're all gonna love me and I'm all gonna love you. Because if that doesn't wind up being the truth, navigating the nuances of that space is actually just a waste of energy that isn't going towards your mm. art. 
And I think about how many artists have these stories about, and, and actually, no, let me tell my story. When I made my Broadway debut, I came in ready, guns a blazing, perky, like happy, ready to do the work. I had notebooks, I was ready. And that, and that wasn't putting on a show. That's how I'd been. I'd been trained as a swing. So taking notes was like sort of my thing. Um, making sure that my work spoke for itself was important. So I always showed up ready to go or at least attempted to. Um, and it wasn't received the best and not necessarily because of the situation of uh, is he doing his work or not? It was more of am I liked or not? And I came in sort of thinking it's Broadway. Everyone's going to be there. Everyone's professional and they will all respect me and I'll respect all of them. And that didn't necessarily wind up being true. And that's not to demonize anything. It is human. We're not all going to like each other. But it was actually quite dangerous for me to come in naive, honestly, thinking because then I wasted so much time and energy trying to navigate the space of liking or not liking, being liked and, and, and so on and so forth, as opposed to being able to focus on my work. So that's the, that's the biggest misconception, one of the biggest misconceptions that I like experience pre-professional career and post-professional career, because that was also something I learned on my very first contract in a different way. Because um, at that point I was coming from high school in community theater. Um, and so it, where everyone really does on some level, like each other, everyone's super friendly, yeah. the stakes are super low in certain capacity, but the competitive nature of the theater industry, I'm using air quotes, uh, the theater <laughs> industry inherently kind of pits you against each other, especially when it comes to the racial dynamic and identity dynamics um, of different communities. And so my first professional contract, I came in one, Everyone else had college training or professional credits. I did not. So I was already like this runty kid to the left. And I came in ready to be everyone's friend and do the work. And I want to spend 45 minutes warming up before and 30 minutes cooling down after. And that did not gel with everybody. Everyone, Some people were like, kid, sit down. <laughs> so the misconception of everyone's going to be your friend and you and even more so you are going to like everyone that's part of the myth it's not just that we all like each other we all get along it's a family are these things that we say it makes allows people to believe that you are actually going to like everyone so if you don't you feel weird like if you come up against someone you don't like you feel crazy mm -hmm. if, for lack of a better term and forgive me for using that terminology um so yeah that 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 was my whole like misconception word vomit <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like you know when you come up in high school and all that like it's like you're doing shows with some with all the kids you know and there's already this sense of like familiarity with everyone with community theater you get super close and it's like rehearsal can almost be like an unwinding of the day because you worked your nine to five beforehand. But now that the theater in rehearsal is nine to five, it is this whole other just like vibe and environment. It's so funny here. I can totally imagine like, you know, you coming in like an hour early and like warming up and they're just like, what, sir? What? <laughs> what are we doing? Over it. They were over a ball change. No one was feeling it. And it's okay. Like, Looking back on it now, I say it's okay because I at least know what the moment was a little clearer mm -hmm. now. And the thing that I say is just remember that everyone has a different comfort level. So going in saying, hey, I'm going to take my time to get to know where everyone stands. Mm -hmm. is just a smarter approach as opposed to the myth that says inherently we're all going to like each other. Um, the family dynamic 
is truer in the fact that like, I don't like all my cousins. I don't like all my grandparents, but we're still a family. Right. And that that is truer if you talk about it in that context. We don't all get along, but we all are working towards similar goals and that we want to put the show up, right? Mm. Um, and I say it that way because we all have different motivations as well. So to pretend that we all are working towards the same type of thing is also not accurate, but we all are trying to get the show to happen. We all want to get our, our, our check, let the check clear. <laughs> I'll remember that. Uh, getting paid to be on stage. <laughs> I cannot wait. Yeah. I cannot wait. <laughs> baby steps. We're getting there. We're almost there. We, there is hope on the horizon. Yeah, baby steps. <laughs> um, so I really like what you wrote when I had asked, um, is there something that you learned or know now that you wish you knew at the start of your career? And you wrote um, that the industry is flawed, not me. Uh, so what can you share about that? Because that's that was really... I was just sort of taken aback yeah. by it. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, again, I, I, over my career thus far, I have tried to stay cognizant of the lessons I've learned. And a lot of them are a recontextualization of the myths yeah. that were taught. And the myth that you're allowed to believe is that you have to bend and contort yourself to fit the industry. But the thing that I learned is that the industry is flawed. And the way one of the ways that shows up for me is that the industry is always at war with keeping up with itself. We have we live in a time where we have access to a myriad of types of humans, mm -hmm. and yet we don't use them artistically. We keep trying to like figure out a way to costume the the norm identity into the interesting mm. thing instead of allowing the interesting thing to exist in art publicly and that's a flaw as opposed to just feeling the time and going with it and being inspired by it the industry continues to try to pump out past incarnations of itself they keep asking of us to be um artists who have full access to the depths of themselves while simultaneously teaching us to ignore those depths. I think that shows up from my understanding of a lot of college programs. You go through them where they essentially break you down and build you up in their ideals of the industry. Right. And then you get into an industry that says, okay, now go deeper and deeper and show me who you are and have an individual identity. Come into the room and be you. Well, who do? how do I know who I am if I just spent four to eight years having me broken down and, and beaten up, that's a flaw. The fact that access to accurate inside industry information rarely, if ever, gets translated to the training programs, both in college and high school, right. is a flaw. And there, I could go on for hours about <laughs> many other flaws, but all that to say, when I was able to kind of realize that it actually wasn't me that was flawed because the industry, because I didn't meet the industry, the industry isn't meeting reality, not just right. me. Uh, so like, even if I decenter myself in the conversation, the reality that we live in, the reality that audiences are actually not as dumb as art some uh, as the industry sometimes assumes they are, which is why we have to keep doing these uh, visual gymnastics in shows because we think they're dumb. But then you get shows that pare it all down and audiences love it. And, and then I argue, so okay, so who, who messed up? Right. How is it possible that we needed to have a hundred foot mechanical animal on stage and that was supposed to be the big draw, but that didn't work. And then you have a show like Once on This Island's Revival that was just sand in the round essentially. Mm -hmm. 
it's a pared down lived experience version of the show and people ate that up. So then I go, all right, so are you pandering to the audience? Are you inviting the audience in? That's a flaw. So all that to say, when I realized that it actually wasn't me, that my artistry was not inherently flawed, that my Black queer existence and my training didn't fail me, I was like, ooh, mind blown. And it took the pressure off. It meant that I could actually look at my experiences as an artist a little more purely. It allowed me to step into the space when I had the capacity to, because, you know, being a person of color and gay in the world, super challenging. Right. Um, so at the end of, in the trek from my home safety space to the artistic workspace, if I am fortunate enough to make it through that safely, whatever energy I had left, I could put towards my art without judging it. Because I acknowledge that my, I wasn't the flaw, that the industry was the flaw. So if I went into an audition, singing some Broadway standard, which fits my voice, in my opinion, and the casting people asked me to sing a little blacker. I didn't judge me, I judged them. Yeah. Because of the flaw in the system. Flaws, multiple flaws. <laughs> oh, Lord, so, yeah. no, there's multiple flaws. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. The, uh. So I've been a little bit more involved in the TV side of things, um, just because of when I moved to the city and uh, work situations when I wasn't really available for theater auditions and also not having formal dance training I sort of just for whatever reason shut myself out of all the musicals I was like can't be in those when of course you can um you <laughs> may not be in the dance ensemble but you can still be in the show in some other capacity right. um and similarly with tv um and with I mean with all with entertainment in general those flaws are just like across the board still there and while we are making strides and there is progress it's not as quick as we'd hope there's still right it's like mm, uh, <laughs> um like you know with uh, the oscars that were recently um it was yet another year of no hispanic or latinx nominees and people love to turn around with the question of like well who would you have nominated and i said that's not the issue the issue is that studios and networks and executives aren't giving funding for those stories to be told. So we're not even given the opportunity to make that movie or make that show. Um, mm -hmm. All of the auditions that I've had in the past, like six months now that things have picked back up have been for like immigrant characters. And I refuse to play a drug dealer. I mind you, no one's going to cast his face as a drug dealer, but you know, it's because a show like Narcos and all of that, they're so obsessed with like that side of like the cartel and crime. And I'm like, we're so much more than that. Can we move beyond what's popular and get into what's actually real? Because if you look, right. if you compare, if you look at media and the way that we're all represented, whether we're BIPOC or queer or, or, or any other, community of people if you take how we're represented in media and you think that's how it is in reality it's like horribly flawed when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply what else could you share about uh, approaching the industry as, as a person of color and as a queer artist? I think the things that 
are always at the front of my mind when offering up my perspective on how to approach the industry are two things. Before you even dare to go into the industry, any industry, make sure you have a support system and, and be impeccable with building that support system. And the reason why I say that is because on the worst day possible in your industry, you need to know that you can go home, vent, recharge, be refilled so that you can face it another day. If we fill ourselves, our life, our support system, if our support system is all industry people who don't know how to turn it off, then we can't recharge. I use the example of when you're in college, a lot of your friends wind up being other people in your training program or whatever. And when can you turn it off to recharge? Not to say you need to let it go or any of that stuff, but simply go, I'm going to go bowling today. I'm going to play Uno today. I'm going to read a book today and not think about the art so that I can rest my brain, recharge my brain and come back anew and prepared for the inevitable climb. And so I always tell people, build a support system that allows you to recharge, to allows you to turn it off, to allow that allows you to come at it anew with all the energy that you need to face it. That's one thing that I tell people, like support system super important. And that's not to say that it can't be other artists. You just have to be able to, for yourself, fully recharge because the industry is, uh, you know, unrelenting. And it, without the opportunity to have someone pick you up on the days when you can't pick yourself up, which is something that I I'm fortunate to have now. And it's not necessarily something I had in the beginning of my career. Um, I had a lot of what I thought, what I felt were rather surface level support systems. And so on the days when I actually didn't have the energy to pick myself back up, now they do it for me. Um, and so that's important. The other thing is really do your homework. Um, and I don't mean studying the websites and the playbills to see whose name is whose name. I mean, talking to the artists who live in similar circles of your identity to hear the tea about what it is. Um, I didn't have access to black professional actors into well into my career. So I didn't really know how my identities were gonna be perceived. I didn't know many queer artists until well into my career. So I wasn't even prepared with the lived experience knowledge. And that's not to say that their plight is gonna be your plight and their success is gonna be your success, but it does give you information about potential outcomes and circumstances that you could find your way in. So I say, do the homework, reach out, try to be a part of, listen to, I mean, we live in a podcast <laughs> age. Everybody got a podcast these days. And so <clears throat> there are a lot of artists who yeah. speak on their own behalf about their experience. Do that homework is the other part. And then the last thing is <clears throat> really understand why you're doing this. Sorry, I'm <laughs> coughing on a podcast. My bad, y'all. Um, really understand what your motivations are because and, recon and recontextualize them to be the most fulfilling for you. So for me, I got into a, time where the climb was more important than artistic fulfillment and I would finish a, jo a job and feel empty which told me I had to look at I had to look at what that was about and what it was for me is that I had to remember that 13 year old boy who found art as a safety net as a life raft as the savior and that will always be a part of me that will always be my origin for artistic expression is that I have to say something I have to express something. So when I got into the kind of transactional book a bigger job book a bigger job book a bigger name, though it was important to me and it was successful in some way. It was empty 
And it wasn't until I started looking at my work every time as an opportunity to say something important, even if it's a fluff musical. There are some musicals out there, and by fluff, I just mean entertainment-based. They're meant to just be fun. They're not necessarily trying to say every important thing. They're wanting to be joyous. I was like, I still have to approach that from the perspective of this matters, and I'm trying to say something, because then I feel fulfilled. Um, I could be singing Sesame Street songs in a Sesame Street musical, which as an adult, it doesn't necessarily carry the same weight in some capacities as it would for a child to perform those things. But I have to approach it from the th perspective of, I have something to say. And that's why, but I only remembered that when I went, what are my motivations? Why am I here? And a hold tight to those are important. Because again, this industry is crazy. We're fighting towards progress, but we haven't made it there yet. So on the days when it gets tough, you need to remember those motivations. You need to have a good support system and you need to come with as much knowledge as possible about the everyday of it all so you can make informed decisions. If you come in only ready with the like topical, I need to have my book ready and I need to have my headshots, you're never gonna be prepared for the human interaction that is our industry because you're so we are so focused on the technical, topical, things. And, and while that's an important part of the puzzle, the other important part of the puzzle is how do you respond when you're abdicating for yourself in contract negotiations? How do you respond when you're in a callback and they group all the people who look alike together and then you have to be <laughs> auditioning with a bunch of people who are six foot one, black, right. short haired, black men. And you're like, what does that mean? What is that? Are we a token mm -hmm. spot? Like, navigating that stuff is important to have context for um so yeah th those are my kind of like what do, what you should right. know because all the other stuff is out there you know like i can i can google how do i build an audition book i can google where to get a headshot and that's out there what's not out there is like how do i survive microaggressions yeah. in the theater specific to in theater or like how do i reckon with the fact that my lived identities and the characters I'm asking to portray are different. Because uh, a question I got recently that I like to like noodle on is um, a queer a queer actor who was like trying to understand how their um, effeminate nature would would work in theater. And we had this really beautiful conversation. I was like, well, I I, I struggled with a similar question in a different way. And I was like, is my gayness going to keep me from getting jobs? Because you know how that goes. And I had to reckon with, I will never allow someone, I would try to not allow someone to dim my light because it's offensive to them. I will attempt to embody the character as the artists that created them see it. So if you're asking me to be in the hallway and to be look more, more heteronormative, no, that's not, um, no. But if the character I'm portraying is a male identifying human who is falling in love with someone of the opposite um, sex and gender, then sure, I'll embody that to the best of my ability and use my training. But these are the conversations and knowledge that isn't necessarily out there. And again, my way is not the perfect way, but in prepare, preparing to get into this industry, those are the things I think people need I to know. I entirely agree. It's because we hear so many times of, of people saying that like, whether it's a queer character or a character of a particular nationality or ethnicity or race, hearing people, like we said, like to play it up or to whatever, but it's like, why do I have to do that before you even, before we start the scene? It's, 
the little conversation you have before the audition is you as a person. Isn't it more impressive to see a switch than to like, to just be that person, the, the, to walk in as the character. To me, that's exactly what it's like. like my slates are always like, hi, I'm Juan, Absolutely. 10, based in Brooklyn, New York. And then onto the first take for the assassin in the blacklist or whatever, you know, like that's when, that's when I question myself. <laughs> but then I'm like, you know what? You're trained. You are obsessed with action movies and shit like that. So you're going to put on the character but in the slate, you're going to talk like you. I'm not going to be like, hi, I'm Juan Ayala, five foot You know, it's like, that's not. <sighs> <laughs> it's and, and to me, it goes back to this, one of the other flaws that I like to talk about. One of the flaws in industries, and this goes for television, film, and theater in some capacities. The people who, the people who have become the kind of gear movers mm -hmm. in the industry, casting directors, and so on and so forth, the industry has supported them in becoming artistically mm -hmm. lazy, which means because time is money and we have to move fast and we have to find it today, they've stopped approaching art in some mm -hmm. capacities as an audience member. So I've been so I've been dabbling in ca casting and some projects that I'm uh, a part of currently just to kind of figure out what that side is. And they're super amateur. They're not super amateur, but it's me stepping into a position that I've never been in before. And the thing that I'm trying not to lose is the ability to see someone as Jody everyday person and then see them as assassin number three. Because again, the, because we want to get it and we want to find it and we want to, time is money. I go, come in ready, come in, show me who you are and then be the character. But an audience member will, won't necessarily mm -hmm. see me walking into the stage door and start judging my performance from that moment. So why are we being lazy when we experience art on the industry side in the kind of audition and creation process why are we asking people to fully show us the character that we ourselves as creators may not have fully understood yet that's the other thing that drives me crazy when i'm like when i go when i feel like a director is waiting for me to show them who their character is while that is there is an element of that you should have identified the character in some capacity and you should always leave your mind open for my version and my perspective on the character to inspire you. But if you either go, this is the character, no, that is it, you might close your mind off to potential mm -hmm. um, inspiration. And then if you're waiting for me to tell you who the character is fully, that means I have to walk into the room in character i have to have created a headshot that already leans towards the character but there i go in right. for 12 characters in a month sometimes so how am i supposed to get one headshot that shows you the brooding boy next door the angsty teenager the romantic lead and the gay best friend what picture is that like you don't like that <laughs> help me understand literally literally it's a collage of 90 photos and so to me i think i i want to i i implore artists on the functional side of the creation process to remember be inspired like there's a middle ground between this is the character and be it and like i'm waiting for you to tell me who it is there is like a beautiful middle ground where i know who the character mm -hmm. is but i'm always open to be inspired and i want to be inspired but i do know that there's an outline for this character right in the middle seems to be the most it's giving us as artists our best chance um it's giving because also how many times have we seen movies or shows where we're like, right. why are they in this? Like, and, and I don't mean that their their value as a creator or as an artist is bad, but they just don't fit. I've seen musicals mm -hmm. where people can't sing the score and I go like, why are they here? That's not to say they're bad at whatever they do well, right. well, but they're not 
fulfilling this moment or I see movies where I'm like, was right. there an acting choice? You know, like those are the things and audiences aren't that dumb. So then I go like, why are you being lazy casting and people yeah. like that's when it's really frustrating <laughs> when and it's not always casting. Sometimes it's like the writer or the director wants a specific star in their project. Right. The producers or whoever, like producers. who's a young, hot boy toy this season. Um, so then I was just talking, I don't want to name names. I was talking to my boyfriend this morning about a particular actor. I'm like, remember when that actor was in like 10 movies in the span of three years? Where's that guy been? And it happens a lot because, you know, they're in everything. And then we realize the star power is there. But then if three movies in a row are critically panned, you know, it's like, okay, maybe this wasn't the best. Maybe the star power alone wasn't the best factor to attempt to carry a franchise or to whatever yeah. you know it's just oh god this industry is just it's, it's the gatekeeping and the scapegoating <laughs> it's like part gatekeeping and then it's scape uh, scapegoating like you gatekeep right. who has access to the role so you potentially miss a person right. that was probably more appropriate or more interesting uh in the role and then you scapegoat the person who like may have led that thing and i'm like well why wasn't the rest of the piece impeccably done if the movie was bad no matter how good that actor is like they may not pick it up and vice versa if the if the movie is great but that actor is garbage like they don't necessarily blend so i'm like don't gatekeep who can get in and then scapegoat the person you put in heavens and in musicals sometimes i think it's even worse because people who don't live in the like everyday average human audience member lifestyle then attempt to like guess who will be interesting to them so we get these like star bumps that no one asked for and i go wait so if you live in a high rise and you take cars everywhere what do you know about what the person on the subway who right. might see your advertisement once in a show so if you're putting insert star inserts starlet name here into a musical where their talents don't meet that the need of the show and then you expect me as an everyday audience member to be like lit for it just because they had a couple of viral right. videos wait what <laughs> like how do you i don't care about them in this capacity <laughs> okay so to wrap up the show we always end with a segment called getting to know you as if we haven't gotten to know you in the last 45 minutes but we're gonna just <laughs> throw some fast questions at you uh starting with coffee or tea tea stage acting or screen acting stage plays or musicals plays tv or film tv uh drama or comedy comedy when have you been the most starstruck oh ah most starstruck norm lewis coming out of an elevator when i was leaving an audition studio uh <laughs> and as he passed me i said he looked right in my face and then when i turned around i saw him giggling at me because i said it i thought i whispered but i very much did not <laughs> this is like maybe like six or seven years ago uh, that funny. was the most starstruck i'd ever been <laughs> um do you have a secret talent secret talent no because i talk too much so most people know all the things that i do so no i don't think any of them are secret um uh you know, I think people don't acknowledge how um, empath empathetic I can be. Um, and, and it's not, and I say that because uh, it, it, uh, everyone gets it in some capacity. I, I make that make a point to do that, but I don't think people often like realize that I'm 
giving empathy. I'm 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 mm. always like trying to consider your version of things and how that might how your how your feelings what your feelings may be. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll say that as my secret talent, which I don't know if it's a talent, but whatever. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite accent or impression to do, and can we hear it? I have said since I was a young young youth that I am terrible at accents and I am horrible at impressions, but I will say my favorite line to quote is from the Hercules movie when they're in Thebes and the guy goes, do you want to buy a sundial? For some reason, <laughs> that line, I will, I will quote it in inappropriate conversations. Like, it will, it'll be kind of like, ooh, sis, and you want to buy a sundial. Like, I don't know why I throw it in there, but like, that's where it comes out. Uh, but that is the, <laughs> that's the one. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, what is the worst side job that you've had? Worst side job that I had. Oh, a uh, side job. I wasn't in my career. So I'll say, I'll say this one. The worst one that I had, not because the job was bad, but because I really did not care, um, was uh, I worked in a, as a temp job for, um, I won't say the name because, you know, advertising and all that stuff, but uh, a company that does like d food delivery and also rideshare things. And this was before their food delivery option came out. So I was uh, on the team that would like call restaurants and try to get them signed on, on board to it. Mm -hmm. I really didn't care. And the reason why I didn't care is because I was in callbacks for like my first Broadway show, my first production mm -hmm. contract. And so I was so checked out. And so not only what, what, and I did as I still did the calls, I still did whatever, but like, I just wasn't there for it. Uh, and also calling 50 people a day to be like, you want to get on board to this thing. And most people just hang up on you. Not cute. So that was, the, uh. that was awful. <laughs> Oh, a movie that never fails to make you laugh. Movie that never fails to make me laugh. Sorry, I just did that so Raven stare off into the abyss. Movie <laughs> that never fails to make me laugh. Um, I think... So there's this movie called Baps. Are you familiar? Mm. Oh, it's <laughs> iconic. It was a 90s, 90s moment. Halle Berry, Natalie... Oh, oh, forgive me for forgetting her last name. She just passed away. She was one of the stepsisters in the Brandy Cinderella movie. Um, the like black woman who was the oh, other, yeah, other yeah, sister yeah, in the Brandy yeah. Cinderella. So they uh, play best friends who um, are living their like lives in their neighborhood. They're like hairstylists and they work in a restaurant and uh, they are like dream of big of a big life. And they see this advertisement to fly out to LA to be a background dancer, a backup dancer in a music video for this star. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's their adventure once they get there because they wind up meeting a man who offers them an opportunity to be actors. It's all a ruse though. He's really using them to try to like get his uncle's money or something like that. But he tells them it's an acting job where they're gonna pretend to be the granddaughter of this uh, elder man's long lost love. But mm -hmm. through that um, adventure, they connect with this older gentleman. They become really important to another is this whole story of like honoring friendship and all this other stuff. And, but it is hilarious. Halle Berry is nuts in it. It <laughs> is, it was like one of the first movies I watched in my like younger age. It's super like, 
it's just black. I, I live for it. The BAPS is my movie and it's quotable. Uh, look, just look up Halle Berry BAPS on YouTube. There's a scene where she's in this yellow and she's doing this dance. They're waiting outside an audition and one girl's warming up and kind of showing off. And Halle Berry's character attempts to like outdo her, but has no dance ability. It is <laughs> comedy gold. It is comedy gold. And there's a scene where they're in the airport and they see the star that they're obsessed with and they mm. go all, like loud screaming. They're like rubbing him up and down. It, it's it's amazing. Iconic. Two black women being comedy geniuses. It's great. So BAPS. Yes. <laughs> uh, what's a movie that never fails to make you cry? Oh, good heavens. Not that. Um, a movie that <laughs> never fails to make me cry. Um, actually, you know, um, more recently, it's been um, Inside Out is the mm. movie that always really gets me. Mm-hmm. Historically, it was always, um, what's that? Oh, now I'm blanking on the title. And I actually don't watch it that much because it always gets me. It's the uh, 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 Fievel Goes West or whatever it is. It's like a young, it's like a young cartoon movie. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, that movie, it's like some rats. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. It's an American tale. Five O goes west. Yes. So it's oh about yeah, yeah, these. Yes, that movie historically uh-huh. always makes me cry, and I intentionally don't watch it as an adult now right. because I'm not. I won't. It won't go well. I will cry. I'll be a puddle on the floor. <laughs> if I ever need a really good cry, I watch Coco because by the end of it, I'm like my abuela and all. Ciao. Once they start singing, Coco just... is the one. Yes, Coco is yeah. everything. I said, oh, y'all came with the emotional bunching bags on yeah. this one. Uh, who is someone from history that you'd like to portray? You're coming with the one-two punches, friend. Um, <laughs> I start with the easy ones, the coffee or tea. And actually, <laughs> you know, Stokely Carmichael, an activist. He, uh, mm-hmm. he, he was an activist, and he's one of... I, I, only started really understanding his life and his work during the pandemic um, as, as, as some of, as his name was being floated around. And I kind of went down a rabbit hole of getting to know his story. And actually I want to say my favorite, the quote that started it all in this past year that I um, got to understand who Stokely Carmichael was. And it is, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. If he, if he's got the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Racism is not a question of attitude. It's a question of power. I saw it on a post and that like wrecked my brain because that's the thing that I wasn't able to put into words. And it had been yeah. said long ago, not long ago. It wasn't that long ago, but someone had put into words the feelings that I, the thoughts that I've been having. And then I just went down a rabbit hole. So I would love to portray Stokely Carmichael in a movie, I know, tell television on television in a play in a musical yeah what is a tv show that you want to be a guest star on um i would love to be a guest star on a current one is it a current like something that's on now yes or can i like Mm -hmm. travel back in time current uh if a current uh i would like to be on uh ted lasso that's a tv show i recently uh Mm -hmm. saw it's on apple tv plus uh hilarious Um, but also like tells a story of something I believe in uh, quite, quite in a pretty large way. Or I would love if I could be in the next season of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Lastly, in 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young performer? Remember that your power 
comes from your unique experience. I love that. Christopher, if anyone wants to follow you on social media, where can they find you? So they can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. C Young on stage is the handle for all of them. Uh, C-Y-O-U-N-G on stage. Yeah, that's my TikTok. That's my Instagram. That's my Twitter. Follow me. Uh, I always tell people, especially students, like if you want to reach out and ask my perspective or ask about my experience as a professional artist, feel free to reach out. Um, yeah. Awesome. And you all can follow us on Instagram at Actors with Issues. A big thank you to Anchor for supporting our show. Head over to anchor.fm to get started on your very own podcast 100% free. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. You can catch new episodes every Friday on all podcasting platforms. A big thank you to today's guest, Christopher Henry Young. I'm Juan Yala. This is Actors with Issues, and we'll see you next week.